Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. It wouldn't be the holiday season if there wasn't candy, right? Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply. Hello and welcome to the Football Grad Podcast. I'm your host, Manuel Fate. And before we get on to this podcast, let's go and take a look at the Russian Premier League results. Tampov 2, Lokomotiv Moscow 3, Orenburg 1, Ahmad 2, Ruben Kazan 1, Zenit 2, Dynamo Moscow 2, Rostov 1, Ufa 1, Sochi 1, Ural 0, Spartak 0, Arsenal Tula 1, Krasnodar 2, CSKA Moscow 1, and Krylia Sovetov 0. I could say that we're going to discuss all of this in depth today, but we have a lot of topics to discuss in general. And um, helping me do this, and it's just the two of us today, Andrew. Andrew Flint, all the way from Siberia. Andrew, uh, how are you doing? Um, I'm, I'm hanging in there. I've had about uh, two hours sleep last night, and uh, once again, it's me sacrificing myself for the good of the the Football Grab podcast. But given that you guys did that for a good ninety, hundred episodes, I think it's it's probably my turn now. But yeah, otherwise, I'm good. How how are you doing over there on the on the best coast, Manu? I'm doing really well. You know, um, if it helps, I, I'm not getting much sleep either because it's a Champions League week, and you know how <laughs> in, insane they are. Um, I'm covering. The, the two days for three different outlets. Um, and there was a lot that's happened today. We're going to talk about some of it because, you know, some of it, some of the things that I covered today were actually for the football rat network. Some weren't. Um, but you know, exciting stuff. It means very little time because, you know, you won't know because you, you're very much involved in it in the football rat network side of things because you do a lot of the previews. So we got all of those up to date. Then you do the match reports. Then you do articles on, you know, things that happen, like Lewandowski scoring four goals in 14 minutes. Um, just a casual day for him, not such a casual day for me. Um, that kind of stuff, you know, so all of that kind of gets mixed in and it all happens in kind of 48 hours. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, piece of cake then. <laughs> yeah. It's just 48 hours without sleep. And then you go back to your normal life. You get a week off and then you do it again. Six times. Wait, hang on, Manny. What, what, what's this strange concept you just mentioned called normal life? I'm, I'm not aware of this. What, what, what does this involve? <laughs> I don't think either one of us knows. <laughs> I don't think we've got a clue, to be honest. Let's just stick to the football grad world. That's easier to understand. <laughs> yeah, let's do that. Um, 
few news items. As I said, very little actual Russian Premier League content this week, mostly because Tim isn't here, but also there's not that much happening, but there's a lot of things happening in the non-Russian Premier League world. I want to start this off with um a happy news for CSKA Moscow, Andrew. They have a women's team, and they have a women's team. It's a very good women's team because they just won the Russian Championship. Um, very dominant performance, 12 points ahead of Lokomotive. Now, Andrew, unfortunately, that's also the only two teams, Russian Premier League teams, that also have a women's team. I know that in other countries, there's a big push right now. France is probably the front runner in Europe when it comes from yeah. senior sides establishing women's teams. Germany is catching up too. Bayern have a very good women's team. We're actually going to talk about them later today too. Um, Eintracht Frankfurt have just bought FFC Frankfurt and they're going to turn that into their women's team. There's now discussions at Borussia Dortmund. They, they board putting, been put on a lot of pressure to put on a women's team. In Russia, we only have two. And I mean, yes, not every team in Russia will have the logistics for it, but you would at least think that the teams from the capital and Zenit would be able to invest a little bit more, right? Yeah, I mean, you, you would really, because it's like, if we're going to, I'll be start off on a cynical note. It's very easy, good press for your club to show, look, oh, we're an inclusive club. For a club like Zenit to run a women's team, it really does not cost a huge amount at this level because the game in, the women's game in Russia is even less well funded than the men's game. And it's, you know, we're talking about, uh, none of this is, is full time, at least not an, other than, Tiska and Lokomotiv, but even then, not all their squads, um, not all their players in their squads are are completely full time professionals. So, um, it wouldn't cost a great deal. It would be very very easy to run, and also to gain success is also a it's a it's a much quicker route than if you were, for example, to start a club in in the men's game. We've seen quite a few Russian clubs in the men's game start up and uh, well, basically fall away within two or three years, five ten years. Um, but you know, when you, when you consider that, um, Zvios de Piem, for example, they're the most successful women's team. Um, and they, they play at the same stadium that Amkar Piem used to play at when they existed. And um, they've, they've been to the, the last eight of the women's champions league before. So, you know, and that's, that's not with, we're not talking huge amounts of money here. So uh, I'm a little surprised that it is taking so long um, for the bigger clubs to just simply invest in a women's team because it's 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 an easy way to gain a bit of success and exposure. And it is the right thing to do anyway because a lot of women are playing football um, yeah. in Russia. Um, even, even my daughters, they're six and eight years old. They love playing football. One day I'd like them to have a team, but, <laughs> you know, it needs more, more investment, I think, at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. I think... You know, we, I actually need to add Yenisei from the FNL. They have a women's team as well, um, in, in the first division. So, you know, but that's, that's pretty much it. And that's maybe not enough. Um, Chetanova as well, Andrew, you know, they have a team, yeah. you know, <laughs> and, um, that's a name that's, um, that's a name that our followers should already, at least if not be familiar with, be looking forward to hearing more about their, fascinating project i'm i'm curious to see how they'll run the women's team whether yeah. they'll run it on the same basis as the men's team where they only run it through um academy products and that would i tell you what that could actually be a more positive sign 
than a sort of token gesture of a, a, a Zanit women's team, for example. I, I'm not picking on Zanit specifically here, just simply because they have the most money and yeah. don't have a team. But if a Chitanova side runs on the principles of the men's side, that will do more good for the women's game long term. So anyway, either way, it's, um, it's not all doom and gloom. We do have two big names. We do have two representatives in the Women's Champions League next season. And we have some potentially exciting sides coming through like, like Chitan. But and I, I, even I, I can tell you on the ground here, the coverage on TV and the media is has been minimal. But I'm starting to see a few more games broadcast. The women's national team uh, is, has been on Match TV, the main channel, uh, which it hadn't been about two or three years ago. You'd never have seen it. So there are some progress but it, it's got some way to catch up to the other european nations in terms of women's football yeah absolutely uh, and we would love to see it we will would love to cover it and cover it more as it grows in russia and elsewhere um i know that both chris williams and i will you of course know as well from the football Garden network we cover quite a bit over on the international champions cup so um, you know, when it, when it becomes applicable, we definitely love doing it. And, um, I, I covered games at the Women's World Cup this year and I, I absolutely love the experience. It, it was a great experience and it's, it's football is, is getting better and better. Um, please don't make the mistake to compare it to the men's game. I'm not saying it's, it's worse. It's just saying it's a, it's a different game. Um, they play it differently. Yeah. And I think that is really, I think a lot of people got, get hung up on that. Um, and I think that's a big mistake. You know, you basically, you wouldn't hear the same thing about tennis. You know? Um. Yeah, I, 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 I agree entirely. I think that's actually probably the best, um, the best point to be made at this point is, um, it's, it's not in any way, uh, patronizing to say it's a different, I would consider it a different game altogether. Um, you know, the coverage of women's football has exploded in the last two or three years. And finally, you're starting to, you're starting to see the way that the women's game is broadcast back to us from some extreme, some of the best writers I've seen in, in English media anyway, um, over the last few years are, are writers about the women's game mm. and the, the stories behind the players who have are basically the first generation to genuinely be looked at as fully professional. I know that's going to sound awful, but even 15 years ago in England, you would know names like Rachel Yankee, for example, played over had a hundred times for England. Yeah. Uh, and even she wasn't career media organizations, fully professional. Um, you know, we're seeing Leon in France, for example, investing millions and millions into their team. Um, and that's, that's, that's the way forward. You need to con remember, like you said, it, it's, it's not sport in its own right. Um, and the, the comparisons are futile, basically. So there's no yeah. point comparing. Let's celebrate what it is. And it is some seriously good technical footballers there. So, Yeah, absolutely. Before we move on to the next topic, I just want to point out um, one of the outlets that I write for, Pro Soccer USA, um, where I do most of my North America coverage, Andrew, um, Alicia Delgallo, my editor-in-chief, um, great editor, by the way, she um, also made a big attempt and successfully so to cover all the um the women's leagues games in in north america as well and so the mls mm. and the women's league get the same amount of coverage and she she has she has managed to get um riders into every market there and i think that is, that is quite incredible 
to make that attempt and to actually be successful with it because we're now going to go into our third year with that homepage covering both the men's and the women's games in North America. Uh, and it shows you that the market is there. That's the bottom line. Yeah. Right. So yeah. that's, that's my final thoughts. We're going to have one more piece on women's football, um, later on in the section. Um, mostly, mostly when we chat about Man United's trip to the Asian step. But Andrew, before we get to Europa League doping, it's been a while since we talked about it. Uh, yes. It's, uh, it's, <laughs> I, I was wondering what had happened. Um, uh, Manny, have you ever, ever heard a story? With the words doping and Russia in the same sentence, has that ever happened in your your conscience that you that you know, remember that you know of? I just can't think. Has has it ever been linked to Russia before? <laughs> has any other national organisations tried to pin all of the evils of doping on Russia as if they've never done it before either? I t- yeah, well, Manu, our eyes are being opened by the rest of the world, aren't they? Well, to be, I, I see it in two different ways. Uh, honestly, I th- yeah. Russia was caught, um, barehanded uh, in the most ridiculous fashion. The, um, the, the famous, <laughs> the, it's now a bar in Sochi. Can you believe that? Um, I went to it after I, I, I went to that bar itself. Yeah. There's a hole in the wall still where they did the exchange of the, <laughs> the urine samples. I mean, <laughs> As ingenious as all of that was, if you have the entire government of your country running that doping case, uh, it means that one, if one athlete gets caught, your entire apparatus falls apart. It's the most Soviet thing, literally, that, you know, you can imagine. Um, so obviously they were caught and, um, we're paying attention to it. We have been paying attention to it and, you know, Rusada, the, the anti-doping agency in Russia, um, run by our friend Mutko, of course. <laughs> it's, um, very laughable uh, in, in many ways, the way that organization has been run, runs and uh, supposedly, I guess, still runs. Um, you know, is there doping in sport? I think, uh, I think the more accurate question would be in which sports are there not doping? Um, examples i mean i i had this conversation on a on a radio show about a week or two ago and i mean the question was put to me in a i thought quite an interesting way actually that uh, if you if you look at cycling for example um i would say there you, the the very direct specific games of doping are slightly easier to see where it, you know the ability, the lung capacity is so directly yeah. result, um, linked to the results in the sport. And the question was put to me in the in this because it is so such a an open secret. Um, it, there is doping rife throughout cycling. Some cyclists, the clean cyclists, are complaining. Well, this is just a joke. I uh, there's no way I can compete. But and he said, well, look, okay. Why do we just simply not just say, okay, if you want to dope, dope, everybody dope, and at least then it's a level playing field. I mean, it, it's we've got to have posing those sort of questions in some sports. Now, um, when it comes to football and what we've read recently, um, where the um, reopened against um, Rusada, the Russian anti-doping agency, where there are claims they've destroyed more samples and WADA has now said that 
it's uh, it cannot guarantee it that the that Russian athletes are clean or which athletes are clean because now the testing is has been compromised again and there are talks recommendations sorry I should say from Wada that Russia should not host Euro 2020 games um, on the basis that if you know if they cannot guarantee the um, mm. the cleanliness or purity shall we say of of Russian sportsmen then their recommendation is that no sport should but it's not although quite that has it. been misreported because um that recommendation was also in place for um, for games that recommendation was already in place ahead of the 2018 FIFA World Cup right because um Russia was not yeah. uh, Russia um Russia as the Olympic body was not allowed to participate in the 2018 Winter Olympics that took place in Korea. Now, um, the World Cup then in Russia did go ahead because FIFA does its own doping tests, right? They're, they're handled by an outside organization. So Rosada, it's, it's very muddled because people right away said, okay, well, if they can't, if, if, if Russia, and you can totally see where the English media reporting goes with the story. They're like, oh, great. If Russia can't do it, we're going to give those games to Scotland. Right. Um, it's a very direct. I mean, you, you, you can sense how and what was going on there. The papers trying to sell the papers. And I think that it, it led to a lot of misinformation in that regard. What this ban actually means because FIFA has signed on to, to VADA. Right. Um, European champions, the UEFA it respects WADA, but a European championship is a regional competition and does not fall into this category. Also, um, UEFA hosts those games, not the Russian Olympic body. Now, um, where it also becomes complicated is remember at the 2018 Olympics, the entire hockey team participated at the tournament. Because those athletes were considered clean. Now, the body that is in charge of, um, I mean, everyone knows this. If when, when the countries play in tournaments at the FIFA World Cup, at the UEFA, uh, European Championship or short Euros, the, 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 the badge on the shirts is not the badge of the country like it is the case in an Olympic tournament. It's the symbol of the football association that they represent. The football association is sanctioned by FIFA, not by the government, by FIFA. No, so not by the, the country's government, by FIFA. FIFA, in fact, forbids any government ties to the football associations. There's been countries that have been suspended over this. So, yeah. um, the football association, this is the Ru Russian Football Union, RFU, they will have to get clearance from WADA. And we're not talking about the European Championships because it does not apply to European Championships. So those pipe dreams in Glasgow, they will like, sorry, if you are a listener from Glasgow, you will not host tournaments this summer, games this summer. It's not going to happen. They will take place in St. Petersburg. Um, but when it comes to the World Cup in 2022 in Qatar, um, speaking of doping, Qatar, um, the Russian Football Union will have to be cleared by WADA to participate in this tournament. 
And if there's certain soccer players that have had a history of doping and it does exist, there is doping in, in, in soccer. There is players that have been caught. FIFA has been very lax about it. Sure, that's a different topic altogether. If we open that can of worms, we'll be sitting here two days from now discussing this, Andrew, so we won't. But um, players that will be cleared will be allowed to play as as part of the football association. And I think this is where we have to be very careful about wordings and associations. The Olympics and FIFA are two different beasts. And yes, FIFA has signed onto the code WADA code, but it's not the exact same thing as the Olympics. So it will affect Russia tri-traumatically in the Olympics because that is the Olympic body, which is directly attached to Rosada. Um, so I think that is something that we have to be very careful about when we throw the two things together. And that, that is the aside on the whole doping story, right? That's not even touching the, the actual doping case itself. Well, I, I think it is an important aspect to remember as well, though, Manu, because uh, it's such a, uh, let's just say it's a very convenient thing to brush over or forget. Yeah. And I think it's, it's, it's very easy. And I'm not, I'm not saying purely as a, you know, feeling like Russia is victimized, although in, some people would argue that. Uh, I'm not necessarily saying that per se, but the when there is a when there is a doping case, we've got a culture, we've got an era now of sports. I would say when whistleblowers are coming forward, when um, when wide sweeping bans are proposed and some are implemented, and it's 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 more of a juicy headline for the media, but also it's very easy to believe. Whereas like 10, 15 years ago, even maybe 20 years ago, you know, certain people just wouldn't have believed there was doping. Now it's it's a far more credible concept. So when you see a story in the um, in the media about a, a doping issue where tests have been uh, missed or there have been, in the case of British cycling, for example, um, testosterone patches were ordered to a cycling centre. Um, you know, those... You've got to remember what it actually means. Now, for Russian football, I have I have absolutely no doubt there are just like in every single country, there will be sportsmen who have doped. Um, if there are corners to be cut, they will be, um, at least by some. But uh, this is going to sound I don't mean this to sound flippant, but it is in the with all the best intentions in the world, Manu. However much WADA want to create the right moral stance, it is going to be impossible to absolutely guarantee that every single sportsman in every single code in every country in the world is completely clean. It's just there are too many people in sport to absolutely guarantee that. You can make the punishments as stringent as you want, and that is a good thing. I'm not saying you shouldn't do that. But, you know, when there is an example in one sport where there is a case of a sportsman who has missed a test or has failed a test, I just feel the sweeping recommendations of banning an entire country's worth of sportsmen who, you know, some sports who haven't necessarily been indicted or haven't had a direct cause to be investigated are feeling the brunt of it. Now, you know, people might say, ah, oh, well, if it's a country-sponsored, you know, state-sponsored doping program then we have to do it that way round. Well, I'm like, well hang on a minute it's 
you need if you're going to make those sort of changes those sort of recommendations you need to have hard evidence um for the exact people it's it affects so this um this story will be a very juicy one um football fans in other countries will use any uh, i'm saying fans here not media for a moment uh, they'll use any opportunity to try and stick the knife in um to the russian team because that's just uh, that's what people do best right manny yeah, I think, you know, um, it's self-preservation in a lot of ways. The, 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 the doping story in this sense is a big one. And I think it is a big one. It's an important one to remember that, that Russia did cheat. Um, and they were caught barehanded, uh, in the funniest means ever through a documentary, but you know, <laughs> they were caught. Um, the, the thing I think the problem I have is that other organizations right away try to um, get a profit out of it um, rather than fighting the, the issue at hand, which is doping in sport. Um, my general problem with doping in sport is, and I am very much aware that it exists. Um, you know, we so many athletes get caught, not just Russian athletes, athletes in general. Then it's the story with the Norwegian team where a large percentage of Norwegian athletes um, had asthma. Um, far more Norwegian athletes had asthma than the, the average in the population, which is strange considering that they are athletes. Um, but it's very hard to prove, you know. Um, sport is dirty when it comes to this. Um, I mean, it is. Yeah. That's a reality. If, if you enjoy sport, you essentially enjoying something. If you watch sports, you're enjoying something where athletes, uh, a large percentage of the athletes are not clean. Um, and that's harsh, but that's the reality. And I think, um, that's just something that you would want to have to live with. And a really good discussion before we, we, we got, we went on the show with a friend of mine. And, um, this is slightly off topic, but it, 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 Spare with me because it will make sense. Um, Sion Williams, the famous basketball was just drafted by the New Orleans Pelicans. He has an issue with his meniscus. Um, he's 21 years old and reportedly his meniscus will be taken out because it will shorten the recovery time. Now to take out the meniscus is a big deal, Andrew. Um, because in the long term it will damage this player's career. But, for the team and the the owners and etc. And this is just an example. I can name many, many other examples, right? So so don't hang me up on this particular story. And an athlete is a commodity. That is the bottom line. Um in the normal world you would try to get a person to rehab in a way that they'd be healthy again. Um hundred percent recovery. In the sports world, you're trying to get that athlete onto the field, back on the bike onto the skis, um, back on skates if they play hockey, you name it. They're trying to get them back playing because they're a commodity. They make money, right? So you try to get the maximum out of that athlete in any means possible. And that is a huge problem. And if you enjoy sport and watch sports, you have to be aware of that, that these athletes are commodities. So in that sense, in a competition... They will also be, yeah. you know, coaches, trainers, organizations. Uh, the, the, the sport that both of us cover is football. 
we're talking about players that make millions and millions about a sport that, that earns billions. You know, the, 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 the singular player means very little in terms of what their life expectancy is supposed to be or what they mean for the, the owners of a big football club. But if he can score four or five goals that season, that can be worth a lot of money, Andrew. And if they can get four or five goals more out of him by, by, by making him fitter faster, by giving them something that can make him think faster, be better on the field, heck, overcome an injury faster, because I think a lot of doping actually takes place in that kind of areas, injury recovery, which I think is actually more dangerous than actual doping. That is something that you have to think about. And, <laughs> That is a choice that you make when you watch sports. Those people are not normal people. You know, that's, that's just my 50 cents. <laughs> I, I think, I think you make a very, a very valid point there, Manu, that, um, as much as it is very common and popular to try and focus on the emotional side of sport, the, the memories, the, you know, the sort of rose tinted spectacle view of sport, it is a business, whether you like it or not. They are commodities in in a legal sense, I guess you could say. Well, I mean, it's it just it's a fact. And um, I mean, just an just briefly looping back round to the the Wada recommendation recently. This is something that stood out from all of the reaction um, in Russia. To me, it's it kind of I see it as a similar thing to the point you just made. Um, a Russian sports minister was commenting on the the recommendation that WADA made for Russia's um, uh, sports to be uh, sports teams to be suspended from international competition. It, he, you know, it would have be you would expect. Um, not, I'm not saying you would <laughs> approve, but you would expect the sports minister being accused of this and has been recommended to be suspended to outright deny to flat out deny this um this has happened but instead of that um pavel kolobkov the sports minister said i believe we have enough arguments to answer any questions and i found it a really curious way of answering or responding to this in other words we will we will do what we can to and it, it I'll be honest, it makes it sound as good as an admission. Yeah, but because it, but if, it is Andrew because it's an information war, right? Um, th that's the that's the big problem that I have maybe with this story. Um, the entire doping story is being misused, and it almost reminds me a little bit of the Cold War as propaganda. And it's really hard to get to the bottom to the truth when both sides are waging an information war on each other. And that's what's happening. We're getting so overloaded with information. Yeah. It's really difficult to actually figure out the truth. And I mean, again, I think the bottom line is that the doping happened. But everything after that has been very convoluted. We can get anything delivered from furniture to toilet paper. And now, adult beverages with Drizzly. Drizzly lets you compare prices from local liquor stores on a huge selection of beer, wine, and spirits, then get them delivered right to your door in under 60 minutes. And right now, Drizzly's giving all new customers $5 off their first order. Just enter promo code EASY5 at checkout. 
Download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y dot com. It wouldn't be the holiday season if there wasn't candy, right? Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply. Yeah, I, 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 that's a very, it's a good point to make. I, I've, I, um, I have an emotional ties to this country and I will defend it when I believe it is, it is being wrong. But I, I agree with you. It is, um, uh, I think what would probably be the, the best step that most countries could take, um, would be simply to not wage the information war so so rigidly i mean it's it's easy to do that because it's it's the way you you gain your edge you you try to protect your interests as much as you can um but it is the, the whole reaction is simply we we will do what we can to protect our sport not we will try to be as clean as possible because realistically it's moral as people all claim to be then you will lose out you won't have the edge that will allow you to be at the top level. It's really that simple. Um, I mean, you look at the recovery time of Kevin De Bruyne at Manchester City, for example. Um, he came back from a serious knee injury uh, about two or three months quicker than uh, than the average time for his injury. And he was sent to doctors in Spain who, just out of pure coincidence, happened to... Um, have some officials who had worked at the centre of the Spanish cycling doping scandal. And I'm not saying they are definitely linked, but it, it raises eyebrows. It raises, raises questions when, hey, Manu, a star commodity is, let's say, returned to action as quickly as possible because it raises the chances of maximising profits yep. and gaining uh, more success. It, it happens. Whatever anybody tries to say, no matter what country you're from, what team you are, however moral the noise is, however moral the information that comes out, like you mentioned, like you alluded to, the information war, however moral those messages are, I hate to break it to you, but literally everybody um, is in some way linked to or is, in, is tainted on some level by, by doping. It just simply is, that is what sport is now. The edges make the difference. And how to police it, how um, how to go about it, possible with the information, the way information is spread nowadays. But, well, you know, I, I don't really know what the way forward is. I don't know either. Um, you know, there's the bottom line, the, 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 the Icarus documentary on Netflix. Um, the bottom line is still the guy that uncovered all of this. And this is my final thought on this. He came across this Russian doping doctor because he wanted to test to see whether, whether doping works, right? If it actually improves his results. And he went through the entire program, trained, um, for this amateur bicycle race. I believe it was in France. He did quite well the first year. And then he did this doping program and did all this training regime. And his result was actually worse in the year <laughs> after. Um, the bottom line is you still have to be an incredible good athlete 
in order to be successful. The doping that or the medical assistance will give you an edge, mm. but it will not make a fat guy into a super strong athlete. That's not how this works. And I think this is something that people have to remember. The bottom line is you still have to be an incredibly talented athlete. And that in the top 10, yes, the results are sometimes decided in the lab, but a top 10 athlete will still be a top 10 athlete, you know. Um, someone who's in the top 100 will not all of a sudden jump into the top 10 because he took different colored pills. And I think that is really something that I have, that people have to remember as well. Um, someone like Lance Armstrong was an incredible good athlete. Did he dope? Absolutely. He did. He was caught, but that doesn't mean he was not a good athlete. He was, you know, um, those pills did not make him a top 10 cyclist. They may have won, made him one, maybe one or two yellow jerseys more than he should have. But he would have probably still won some, you know, if he had been with a different doctor. That is my final thought on this, um, because we have to kind of move on, Andrew. As I said, if we really get into the, the greater details of the story, and I think we'll probably have to revisit it because I, I'm sure there will be a ruling at some point. Um, I believe December 9th is the date for it, right? So um, we'll find out exactly what's going to happen, how this is going to play out, how this will affect the FIFA tournament. We know now it will not affect the Euros, but it could affect the FIFA World Cup what that would mean for the Russian national team. I'm pretty sure they will be there. They might not be the Russian national team. They could be the football team for or the Russian football union representatives or something like that. I'm sure they will figure something out. Um, keep in mind too, Gazprom has a lot of links in terms of sponsorship. That money um, is important for governing bodies. So we'll update us on December 9th. Um, real quick, Andrew, your side, um, Ural, held Spartak 0-0. Um, that's really the only news we're going to cover when the Russian Premier League, the, the other two teams, Zenit and Lokomotive, are in the Champions League, so we, we're going to talk about them as well. But real quick, what's your thoughts on that? Well, um, I think the thing that stands out for me is it was a clean sheet. Only the second clean sheet at home in the league in two years for Odell kind of says it all. Um, but weirdly, three clean sheets in the last four games in the league, including away games. So... Uh, in a way, it's progress, despite the fact that Ural have won in four games. They are, I don't, I have to say they're shoring up their defence, but it is slightly improving. Um, and is that a table, Manu? It is still as tight as ever. Yeah. You know, Spartak on 22 points down to Ahmad in the relegation zone on 18 points, four points separating um, sixth down to 13th. Um, or if you want to say five points down to second bottom in the table, it's really, it's still insane. Um, everybody's dropping points left, right, centre. So it's a very good point for Odal. I really didn't expect them to to hold out. A year ago, I would have said differently, but with uh, the way Tedesco started has been fairly shaky ground, to be fair. Because if we're being honest, Kononov, Oleg Kononov started his first five games with 12 points and Tedesco's only had eight. Now, it's a, it's a bit of a, a churlish way to compare their stars. Um, Tedesco, I think, actually is doing quite a good thing the way he's reorganizing the side. will, especially with Zelikan Bakayev, so um, moving him into the center. But good result for Odal. Um, I mean, just very briefly, I'll mention Dynamo Moscow winning again is actually putting them on a decent run of form, unbeaten in five. 
they shouldn't have won because their penalty game a few minutes from time was given by VAR. Um, VAR, utterly awful decision, but they're a Moscow side man with a rich, um, a rich company backing them. So of course they got the decision right. Hmm. I don't know what I'm suggesting there. No, no, uh, there's <laughs> nothing absolutely going wrong when it comes to VAR. Um, let's, no, no. let's talk about the two teams on top uh, really briefly. Sanid playing by the time we just record, it's Tuesday night now, my time, Wednesday morning, your morning. So Sanid will be playing, uh, today or tomorrow, depending on where you are. And, uh, against Lyon, that's an important game for them. Don't want to talk too much about it because you might be listening to this by the time the game is over. But the game that we both saw, um, I wrote the match report on this locomotive against Bayer. Locomotive looking pretty, pretty decent in the league they you know they're probably the team that is the closest follower i know that Ceska and krasnodar are only one point behind them but you just have the sense that locomotive probably have the most stability in, in that league challenge mm-hmm. and um as of today they also will have a lot more time to focus on the russian premier league andrew because the european season is over after a 2-0 defeat to Bayer leverkusen now i thought I loved writing this match report because you had the railway man against the Werkself, you know, the factory workers against the <laughs> railway man. Um, it's the most communist thing ever. It's wonderful analogy. It's like <laughs> labor laws at its finest. Um, all played out by players making millions and millions of euros, um, getting the best medical treatment in the world to stay on topic from earlier. It's, um, yeah, but it's still wonderful. So I got to use the word industrious, hardworking, workmanlike, forward, a lot. <laughs> Your originality there, Manu. Yeah, but you're right to do so, I think. Um, yeah, I mean, in fairness, but over the course of the entire game, I think actually, to be fair to Bayer, um, Leverkusen, they have been, well, you can talk more about their recent history, but they, I think they did earn the, the win in the end. The first half, I, I, I said to you, we were, talk, we were chatting last yeah. night as the game was going on, but, um, Lokomotiv's performance was sort of disjointed but promising because they were very aggressive, giving Leverkusen very little time on the ball, even though they did, you know, Leverkusen did have more possession. Um, you know, I, I felt like a goal was coming from somewhere, but mm. I think they just ran out of steam. I think it was honestly as simple as that. Um, a lot of people were heavily critical of Locomotive's performance, and I, I don't really see it as a an awful performance. They just well, simply, yeah, they they weren't clinical enough. But let's go through that. Like that, that's exactly it. I mean, they had a goal called off early on, um, Anton Muranchuk, right? Then Leverkusen mm-hmm. scored out of nowhere. <laughs> I I tweeted this out <laughs> out of out of out jokingly, and someone actually fell for it. Uh, I'm I'm sorry, Alex, but it's your own fault for believing what I actually tweet. Um, <laughs> I said it was the best goal you will see all week. <laughs> because yeah, this thing went in and I had to watch two replays to actually figure out what happened. But we um, <laughs> put Jamaletinov. Yeah, that was uh, rather unfortunate for Mr. Jamaletinov yeah. to have his name on the score sheet at the wrong end there. Um, but... Yeah, I mean, Manny, the, the thing is, though, the up until that point, I honestly felt like Lokomotiv to take control of the game simply because they were clearly using simply the fact they had home support that actually, to be fair, this campaign, 
if you look on paper, um, like you say, now out of out of the running to to bottom of the table, they've lost the last four games in a row. They've scored the least and conceded the most in their group. That sounds pretty poor. But they ran Juventus close both games. Um, okay, Atletico outplayed them in Moscow, but they beat Bar Leverkusen in the open weekend and up until half time. And other than own goal, um, they really were competing at the very least, and at best, I felt, were very competitive. Yeah. It could have looked so yeah. different at the group stage. It really, really could have done. Um, it could have easily taken two points off Juventus. Um, I think, really, should have been more clinical to beat Bayer. And and then, suddenly, they're second in the table. So, you know, it, it, the margins are fine. People will criticise this campaign, but they should remember the performances as well as the results, um, as they slowly sidle away out of European competition. Yeah. Um, remember Anton Miranchuk too had that a great chance that uh, Lukas Radetzky, still not sure how he kept that out, but it was a brilliant save. And at that point, it would have been 1-1 and it would be a different game. Um, I think the moment Sven Bender, Sven Bender scored, it was over. Yeah. Then, then it was... Then it was possible for um for buyer to simply use the quality passes they have in midfield to soak up the pressure um small off coming on was a positive sign i guess for for locomotive they've had to make do with uh quite a few injuries in their attacking lineup like you mentioned anton Midanchuk coming back um only in the last two or three weeks and small off coming off the bench Smoloff actually although he was out of sorts he had one glorious chance where he turned the fullbacks really brilliantly, came back along the byline, and then for some reason dallied and waited, and eventually a defender blocked it. Um, and a, uh, there was a cross across the six-yard box as well, if you remember, Manny, that mm. Smoloff just ran ahead yeah. of and just couldn't yeah. quite get his foot onto it. Um, these are such fine margins. And you can't simply, you can't live, I know, on the basis what if, but there really were so many yeah. really critical moment it wasn't a last season let me just say the last thing then about loco last season's campaign it just felt like they were defeated before they stepped on the pitch there was no urgency there was the whole performance was a beaten performance um this campaign although the results will end up being virtually exactly the same um on paper the performances were a world of difference from last season so i see it as progress despite the fact that they haven't got through I see it as progress because they are they genuinely did compete, um, despite what the points may say. Yeah, absolutely I agree. All yeah. the games were really close. Um let's talk really quickly about the Manchester City against Shachter Donetsk game. A one one draw that will help Shachter Donetsk a lot more than or City. They don't really care, they're through, they're the first in the group. Um the Dinamo Atalanta Atalanta beat Dinamo. Um, that will set up that group really nicely on the final day. Manchester City Schachter, it seemed they played each other so many times that they basically agreed on this result, Andrew. <laughs> yeah, I think it kind um, of suited both, I didn't think it's it? Getting, it, it, it? Well, yeah, it, you, you can't really argue with that. Um, to get a point away at Manchester City is, is a, creditable result for anybody yeah. uh, in world football I'd argue yeah. um, well unless you've got Robert Lewandowski on your side in which case you'd expect to score at least five goals so um, but joking aside I mean for Shakhtar to get a point away is is very good and it means they go into the last round of games with 
their fate in their hands, which yeah. is where you want to be. Um, Atlanta, uh, it's quite simple. They just need to win. <laughs> you know, yeah. I mean, a point could be enough. Yeah, I mean, I, I think uh, I actually expect them at this point. I would expect uh, Shakhtar to to go through. I think a point will be enough because yeah. um, away in Dinamo Zagreb, I'm sure Pep Guardiola will put out a a team that includes a fair few fringe players, youngsters, because there are some good youngsters in their side, like mm. Eric Garcia in defence, for example. Phil Foden will start on certainly. But even that side will be certainly capable of... Um, of holding their own in uh, in Croatia, and as long as they do, and Shakhtar pick up a point, that's them through to the knockouts, and that's job done. Um, I actually thought last night their performance was very good. Shakhtar they had minimal possession, like most sides who go to Manchester City do. I think they only had about thirty five percent possession, um, but they when they did break forwards, the the uh, Stepanenko um, yeah. in midfield was was excellent. He he threaded everything together and he was always available, dropping deep near the near the defence so that they always had an option to to pass out. Um, and actually, by the end of the game, Manchester City had run out of ideas how to break them down. They they just played diagonal cross balls, chipped over the defence, which were just simply headed away most of the time. So. Um, a very encouraging performance from from Shakhtar, and uh, they should be confident, I think, of getting through to the knockouts. Yeah, let's hope so. I always like seeing Shakhtar Donetsk in the later rounds. Um, that gets us to the Europa League, and Andrew, we don't get to talk often about your side, Manchester United, on this podcast. We do today because they will be off. I'm going to get this right. Listen to this. Nur Sultan. If they change the name, if they change the name, halfway through a match report, I'm going to be seriously mad. No dying dictators, please, on Thursday. Alright? I can't handle that stuff. I tell you what, that, that would be funny. I, I would, I would laugh so much to say, you know what, we're going to go back to Astana again. Yeah. Okay. Well, but, uh, I hope they don't, but <laughs> this, this is the furthest, is this the furthest trip ever? Uh, this is the this is the first trip United will have made to um, to Kazakhstan. It's the longest away trip they will have ever had uh, and will ever had, I assume. <laughs> um, so yeah, uh, it's it's the sort of trip that the most first team players will think, oh god, do we really have to? We're already qualified, and it's all the way out there. Well, luckily for them, Manu, most of them won't be there. Um, it's it's a strange game, really, because Aston are. Uh, you know, are, are already out. They've lost every game of their campaign. They only scored one goal. Um, I would see it as actually a relatively positive thing in a way, if there is any positive to be taken from a four defeats from four league campaign um, in the group stage anyway, that Aston are disappointed with this. Um, getting to the knockouts last season was 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 a, a, a great achievement. And I think it is the way... Um, that it's the only way that Kazakh clubs can progress. They need to be in the knockout stages, not just you know putting up a, a valiant fight but falling short in the group stages. Um, so anyway, today you you could say it's a dead rubber, but actually I think it's going to be more interesting than people realise. Manchester United side has ten players who have never played for the first team before. This squad of eighteen people, ten have never played for the first team, um, and. It's going to be a very, very young side. 
Um, with Jesse Lingard will be the most experienced outfield player um, at 27, 28 years old, I think he is. And almost everybody else is a teenager. So, um, and it, that sounds like they've just, I mean, okay, of course they don't really care about the result. Um, the more important games coming up, Manchester Derby in two weeks' time, for example. Uh, Jose Mourinho um, before that with Tottenham Hotspur in the, in the league. So there was certainly a few eyes on that. But um, what's the motivation for Aston are here? They can get a big scalp. You know, they, they can claim a scalp of a three-time former European champion. And it's not going to change anything, really, in the long term. But it, it will just be, just give them a bit of pride. They've won the league and their league season has ended. And I think it's five league titles in a row now. Um, or at least quite a few league titles anyway. Um, so, if, on one side, you could say there's nothing in it. It'll be dull it'll be boring on the other side I'd say well you've got some really exciting youngsters from Manchester United Aston will be looking to um, claim a scout so actually I honestly would keep your eyes on this one yeah I think it's always interesting too because this is this is a first for, for Manchester United to, to travel all the way out to Kazakhstan it's such an odd location in terms of where it's situated in Europe right and um, going to the Asian steppe it's literally the Asian step. And, um, that made us think a little bit ahead of the podcast about, you know, we have covered Astana quite a bit. Um, of course, there was me not having heard that they changed their name a few, few months ago. That was uh, awkward. Uh, I think you both, Tim and you had to record, correct it four or five times until it finally did sink in. Uh, we did not cut this out. My embarrassment is actually still on record on the Football Grand Network podcast. If you're interested, tweet at me. I'll find you the link and you can listen to me embarrassing, stuttering my name to Astana several times. Uh, it's one of my better moments on this podcast. Um, but, you know, there was a really interesting article and, and people would know follow me on, on Twitter and what I write about it. You know, I cover Bayern Munich quite a lot. And Bayern Munich, we talked about women's football earlier, have a very good women's team. And they were, they actually visited us, um, Kazakhstan as well. They played a team called BIIK Kazigurt, uh, from Shimkent. And there's a really good story about them in the, magazine called 51 um you know where you are rich club and you can afford to put out a magazine that's basically a four, four thicker than 442 once a month and have good stories in it um and they actually had the, the furthest away trips this is the furthest away trip of any Bayern club um it has it's a beautifully written story too about the, the, the players the the logistics that they face to travel all the way to Kazakhstan the time difference uh, the fact that they, one of the meals was horse flesh, uh, horse meat. If you're into that, sure. I, I heard it's quite delicious. Wouldn't be my thing, but, um, yeah, interesting story. And it's actually the second furthest away trip of any Bayern club, uh, the furthest away trip of any Bayern club. You know what the second furthest was, um, Andrew? Second furthest. Oh God. I'm going to guess this is uh, a bit of a left field one. Uh, I don't know. I can't think. Go on. Tell me. Beckenbauer was still playing. It was against the oh, so what? Soviet oh, champion. Shanbe? No, a Soviet champion. Minsk. No, it's further than oh, that. 
Oh, that was Kiev. Ah. Uh -uh. Oh, God, man, he put me out of my misery. I'm the one stumbling around now. I've <laughs> got everyone. Oh, in the European the, Cup. The, the uh, Mount Ararat in the background, I remember now, yes. Yes, yes. There's actually an article up on that on Football Grad. So, yeah, I, I think it's a neat story. So if you can get your hands on the, the 51 magazine, no, I do not write for them. I do not get paid to advertise this article. I just thought it was very good. You should get your hands on it because like, I think it's always interesting. To, 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 we, we often see these trips and we just see the numbers, right? We don't actually see the logistics that this very young Manchester United team faces to go all the way there. This time difference is a long flight. Maybe you know, here in North America, we're a little bit more used to it, but um, it's a long trip, Andrew. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, it's it's four time zones um, separated. Sorry, five time zones separated from um, from the UK. It's it's actually for me personally, it's it's technically down the road. It's uh, it's much closer to me than Moscow. Um, I I had planned to to drive to the game, but uh, you know for. A number of reasons I won't be there, but um, it's only 700 kilometers down the road. Oh, um, <laughs> it's, it's, <laughs> you see, now now you can appreciate that as a North American resident, man. You understand the concept of only 700 kilometers down the road. Yeah. Um, our UK visitors probably didn't even oh. know 700 kilometers existed in one country. But um, but uh, no, in all seriousness, it's uh, it is a big trip. And actually, like I say, the um, I am really excited from a purely fan's point of view, to see a lot of these young players, not just because uh, out of curiosity, but because genuinely it's they are going to be used. They are going to get game time this season. Manchester United are not in a, in a good state overall, but the one positive is that um, our manager, Oli Gunnar Solskjaer, has, has committed to playing the youth products. Uh, one little stat that I absolutely love and now not many clubs can rival this, um, that since 1937, I believe it is, every single match day squad that Manchester United have ever fielded since that year has included at least one academy graduate. Wow. Uh, and this, this uh, it, it is a genuinely impressive achievement, um, I think. Ajax, I believe, are one of the few clubs who can rival that. Um, but it is one of the longest runs in the world. So Manchester United is certainly going to keep that going. So, you know, if you're looking at Europa League groaning, um, it's an early kickoff as well. That's something else to mention. Um, local time, it's it's nine o'clock kickoff, but uh, well, actually 10 to nine. So 3.50 p.m. in the UK. You're waiting for Europa League to come on. You're still at work. Switch it on because it will be worth watching. Yeah, absolutely. And, and before you watch it, head over to footballgrad.com and read Andrew's preview because it's, it's very good. Um, it includes a lot of things that you need to know about Astana. Um, he even managed to get a little, little tidbit about his club in there. Um, Tumen. So it's, it's a really good, really good preview. Andrew, you got two minutes to tell me about Tumen and the communists and the Champions League, futsal Champions League. And then we have, we have to go. <laughs> well, we've got to finish on a positive note, haven't we? Yeah. Um, actually, generally, seriously, futsal is a hugely popular sport out here in Russia, and there are uh, a lot of fully professional sides. Many football clubs, you men, um, are the champions of Russia. They won the Russian championship for the first time last season. And the way futsal Champions League works, it's all in group stages. 
and there's initial group stage where there's a lot of teams that are in the competition for the first time. Then there's the elite round, four groups of four. Only the group winner goes through to the final four. Uh, Chumen hosted the reigning champions, Sporting, uh, alongside Ayat from Kazakhstan and uh, Nova Vremia from Croatia, a part-time side. Absolutely destroyed Sporting 3-1. Um, no uh, exaggeration intended there. Uh, the Communist Party won their group uh, in Moscow. So there were two Russians and Barcelona and a team from Murcia in Spain in the final four of the Futsal Champions League. And I have it on reasonably good authority that the final four will be held in Moscow. So you may very well have football grounds correspondent out there for the final four in April. Wonderful stuff. Well... I still can't ever get over the fact that an oil workers town and a communist party is going to represent Russian football <laughs> in the futsal. I think there is no better metaphor for where the country is at right now. Um, yeah. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. <laughs> Anyhow, Andrew, that's it. Uh, we wanted to do a quick podcast and we filled the hour easily. So, um, before we go, what, what do you have to pluck? Um, other than futsal <laughs> well I'll certainly be doing that in a few months time but uh, yeah, the, yeah the usual round of uh, football grad previews and um, I over the winter break I'll be looking into doing some more feature articles um, over Russian football including an update on how Chumen's season is looking um, it's not looking good is the headline but I'll explain why in more detail in the coming weeks Fantastic stuff. And you can, you can follow Andrew at, uh, Andrew M-I-J Flint. Um, you can follow me at Mano Fate. Yes. Um, it's been a busy week in the Champions League. So I did a story today, um, on Robert Lewandowski scoring four goals in 14 minutes and why I think he is. I think it's hard to argue against that right now. The best striker in the world. That's on Forbes.com. And then, of course, we have the Europa League previews and some Champions League previews. So if you listen to this before the Champions League games kick off, they will be on, um, they will be shared at Footballgrad Live. They will be on Footballgrad.com, on Fußballstadt.com. We got match reports. So if you want to read back about Robin Lewandowski scoring four goals against poor Canadian national team goal, Emil and Borian, who actually I thought was excellent. Um, you can also read about that. Um, yeah, that's about it. Oh yeah, of course, the Champions League roundup on the International Champions Cup. That's up, also available. I did the one for Tuesday. I will do the one for tomorrow. Um, now I'm definitely done, Andrew. We, we can wrap this up. We can, we can, we can cut this off. Um, you can go on with your life today and I can go to bed. That sounds, that sounds about right to me. Well, until next week, das wird dann. One gift that never gets returned? 
trick question. It's three gifts, beer, wine, and spirits. And with Drizzly, you can send the gift of drinks right to your loved one's doors. Drizzly lets you compare prices from local liquor stores on a huge selection of beer, wine, and holiday spirits, then get them delivered right to that lucky someone's door in under 60 minutes. And right now, Drizzly is giving customers $5 off their first order. Just enter promo code JINGLE at checkout. Download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y dot com. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.